This morning, if you want to turn with us to Galatians chapter 4, you can do that. And Carson Huey is going to come and she's going to read our text for us in its entirety. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as me, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical appearance was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, just as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then I have become your enemy because I have told you the truth. They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would not pursue them. So that you would pursue them. Excuse me. But it is, also, but it is always good to be pursued in a good manner. And not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering suffering labor pangs for you until Christ is formed in you. For until, uh, I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I know what to do about you. Thank you very much, Carson. Carson served as one of our uh, small group leaders this weekend with d now and of course Philip Ross that read for us earlier was one of our students for D-Now, it's a lift tour. It's been a big weekend for them. They've done a lot. Uh, and if I'm a little bit louder than normal, that's because I'm trying to make sure that they and the host homes and everybody else stays awake uh, after they've had such a big weekend. Thank you very much for reading that for us today, Carson. So some of you may immediately be thinking, wait just a moment. I know that Groundhog Day was this past week. But I think Brother Zach has made a mistake and asked Carson to read the same scripture that Dustin Sisko read last week. Uh, yes, I do recognize that that is the same text that was read for us last week. And that's because, although those of you that know me know that this is pretty out of character for me, uh, I'm not following the pattern that I had laid out to preach for this quarter of the year today. I'm going to, we are together going to revisit this same text. There's a portion of this text that we didn't spend really any time on last week. Uh, and I considered making it the Wednesday night lesson for this past week, but I could not get over the overwhelming feeling that this is what the Lord had for me to share with you this morning. Uh, so although that is different for me, and that's not something that I, I say very often, that I felt that the Lord was leading me to change what had originally been planned, I felt that in a very strong way. And so this morning, we're looking at this text again, not all of the same things, they won't be the same points, but there is part of this text that I think is very valuable and needed for me, at least, because I've spent lots and lots of hours with it this week. I know the Lord has this, at least for me, I think probably for some of you as well. So there are some things that we saw last week at length, and I will be shorter on those things. But I do want to give a recap. Some of you were not with us. Some of you have uh, not slept a lot this weekend, so you don't remember what we talked about last weekend anyways. Um, but... Those things will be a little bit more abbreviated and we'll spend some more time on the things that are new or different. Let me look back with you at the first three verses and then we'll pray before considering this together. 
Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. I do also want to look at the last verse here, verse 20. Paul says to them, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone if I am perplexed about you. All right, let's pray together. Father God, I do thank you today for the beautiful reminder that there's nothing that is greater than you, that there's nothing that we should desire more than you. And Lord, I am thankful also for your word, your word that is truth, your word that introduces us to you, your word that shows us who you are and what you're like, that, that helps us to understand your character, your word that helps us to know who you would have us to be and what you would have us to do and how you would have us to live. Father, you know that I felt strongly that you have led me again to this text this week. And so, Father, I know, I know that there's purpose in that for you, that there, that there are people here that are your people that you desire to hear this again, to hear it in a different way, to hear this different aspect of it. So, Father, I pray today that for this short time out of our week, that our hearts and minds would be focused on the truth of your word so that we could glean from it whatever you have for us, that our hearts and minds would be turned more towards you, and Lord, that our actions would follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in these, these few verses here, these first three and the last verse, the reason I'm reading those together is to give us this reminder of, of the, the history of Paul and the Galatians, right? The relationship with they, that they had with one another. We see him referring to them as brothers or brothers and sisters, right? In this endearing term. And verse 19, just a little bit, we'll see him referring to them as my little children, again, in a loving and caring way. We see here in verses 13 and 14 that, that Paul originally spent time with them in Galatia because he had some illness, some condition that he was dealing with. They didn't reject him. They received him. They were hospitable to him. They cared for him, and they showed him great love. We know that he stayed with them for a couple of years, that he preached the gospel to them when they were lost, that he visited them multiple other times. Again, we see the truth that they have a history, and it was a good history. They loved Paul and took care of him, and he loved them, and he mentored and led them. But then in verse 15, if you remember this from last week, in verse 15... There, we can sense, I, I hope that you can sense that there's something that has happened. Something has taken place that's caused a rift between these old friends. This pastor and this congregation that he loved and cared and had mentored and discipled. Let me read it for us. Verse 15, he begins by saying, What then has become of your blessedness or your happiness or what has become of the feelings of joy that you had towards me, that you felt blessed because of your relationship with me, what has become of that, right? We can sense that something has happened and it has, something certainly had happened. 
And, and last week we spent a fair amount of time talking about what he shows us in verse 17 and 18, that these false teachers had come in and these false teachers had told them lies and these false teachers had come between Paul and the Galatians. They had told these lies and these lies had caused distance between them. They had caused some animosity between them. But there's something else here. There's something else that we see in verse 16 and we really spent no time on it last week. But I think it's valuable, and so we're going to spend a fair amount of time on it today. Look at that verse with me to see what else happened that has caused them to look at Paul differently than they did in the beginning. Paul asked the question, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, that, that doesn't seem like the type of thing that people normally get mad about. Right? What has Paul done that has made them count him as an enemy? He has told them the truth. Now, there have been lots of times in my life that I have gotten upset with people, that I have been hurt by people, that things have not been good between me and other people because they told me lies. Can anybody identify with that? Anybody ever been mad or upset because somebody lied to you? Well, here, Paul says the Galatians are mad. Not because he lied to them, but because he told them the truth. Right? There are times that I was upset with my kids because they didn't tell me the truth. There are times I was upset with friends. There are times that I was upset with politicians. There are times that I was upset with the voiceover on the commercial because they lied to me. Whatever they said didn't come out the way I thought that it would. But they are not mad about a lie they're mad because Paul told them the truth. And so obviously when you hear that, it makes you step back and say, all right, what's there's, there's got to be a little something more to this than I'm realizing. And there is. Let me define. So, so the term in verse 16, telling you the truth, for us that's a phrase. In Greek, where this was originally written, that's one word. It's just one word, and let me define that word to you. It's uh, speaking reality into a person's life, making a record of what God deems is truth, reality, or fact. Includes spirit-led confrontation where it is vital to tell the truth so others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. Right, the idea that we see here. Uh, is that Paul recognized that the Galatians had bought into something, were believing something, were basing their lives on something that was not true. And so instead of allowing them to simply continue believing a lie, he went to them and confronted them with the truth. He corrected them, if you will. And now maybe we start saying, okay, now I can see why maybe they were upset because while most of us like constructive criticism, not many of us like the feeling of being corrected by somebody else. Amen? All right, so at least two of you are with me. You don't like being corrected, but sometimes it's needed and sometimes it's necessary. And that's what this is talking about. This is, what, this is what Paul was doing here, right? It says that this includes spirit-led confrontation where it is vital. 
vital so that others can live in God's truth rather than the lies of society or the lies that their heart has told them or the lies that Satan has led them to believe. And Paul here, when he saw them initially believing lies about the afterlife and about the meaning of life and about who God is, he came to them and he didn't allow them to just keep believing those lies. No, he told them the gospel, right? He confronted those lies with the truth. And now here again, Paul hears that his friends, the Galatians, are believing in legalism. They're believing that you need faith in Jesus Christ and something else in order to be saved. And instead of just letting them continue believing that, he confronts them with the truth. And yes, they're upset about it. But sometimes that happens. Point one this morning is this. When Paul saw lies, he spoke the truth. When Paul saw lies, he spoke truth. Now, this is not out of character for Paul. This is something that he did often and that he did well. He does it in multiple letters that he's written to multiple churches, to multiple people. He confronts, probably one of the most famous is whenever he confronts Peter and, and just really says, I went to him and confronted him because he was not living a life that reflected uh, belief in the truth. But while Paul was pretty good at this, I think one reason that we're probably spending time on this this morning, one reason that the Lord has really impressed us upon me is likely because most of us are really good at avoiding this. Most of us do a really good job of making excuses for why we shouldn't go correct somebody when they're believing something that's not the truth. Let them live their life. Let them do that. That's their decision. That's what they want to do. Who am I to do that? If I try to tell them that what they believe isn't true, aren't I judging them? Aren't I supposed to not judge right? We have all the reasons in the world that we can think of to let people continue believing lies rather than believing the truth. But brothers and sisters, that's not the pattern that we see exemplified in the Scriptures. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. God would give them the truth and say, take this truth and give it to my people who are believing lies. Think about Jesus. I think specifically about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he just over and over, he preaches the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. And what does he do? Over and over, he says, you believe this, but this is actually true. You believe this, but this is actually true. And then we see it over and over with Paul, particularly here for the Galatians. He says, you're believing this, but this is what God's word says. And I can't continue to allow you to believe lies when I know the truth. And if the example of the prophets and of Jesus and of Paul is not enough, because some would say, I would rather, I, I would do it if it's what Bi the Bible said I have to do. I would give you Ephesians 4.25. This says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Brothers and sisters, although this is something that is uncomfortable for many of us, 
it is something that we are called to do. And that we are shown a pattern of doing in Scripture. And so I don't believe that we can, in a right conscience, continue to see people around us living lives, believing lies, and not confront them. In a gentle way, in a kind way, in a loving way, but to confront them with the truth. Now, you might ask, well, okay, so what's, what's the intended outcome here? Right? You may make people mad. Paul made them mad. The Galatians are upset. They're counting him as an enemy. Right? So why would I risk all of that? I've got a pretty good relationship with this coworker, with this child, with this grandchild, with this classmate. So why would I risk possibly messing that up to tell them the truth? Well, I think Paul shows us that in the text. Look back in Galatians 4. Skip down to verse 19 after he gets through the lies that they had been told. He says this. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Right? So he starts off with an endearing term. I love you. I care for you. And I want you to know that I am waiting for the day that you are as spiritually mature as you should be. I believe that's what he's saying here when he says... Uh, until Christ is formed in you, right? That process that we talked about in Sunday school, Jared, of sanctification, right? Of the Holy Spirit leading us to be more like Jesus. Not living lies based, lives based on lies, but living in the truth that God gives to us. There's another place that that Paul talks about these exact same things together. People believing lies versus being as spiritually mature as they should. It's it's Ephesians 4. Some of you are familiar uh, with verse 15 where it says, Speak the truth in what? Love, right? Speak the truth in love. That's literally the only other place in the entire Bible that this word from verse 16 is used, where he says, telling you the truth, that's the only other place that that same word is used. He says, speak the truth. It's the exact same word. Go to people that are believing lies and tell them the truth and do it in love. And there he tells us that it has the same intended outcome. That when we speak the truth in love, that we allow others, that we help others to grow into the full maturity that's available to us in Jesus Christ. Paul was telling them the truth because he knew that it could lead to them living more Christ-like lives. They could look more like Christ and less like the world. They could look more steadfast and settled and less tossed around and insecure and uncertain. Now, I know which of those I like to pick when it comes to things. Do I like knowing what I'm doing and knowing why I'm doing it? Or do I like just wavering and waffling back and forth because I don't really know what's true and what's not? I don't really know what's best and what's not. I know what I would pick, and I know what Paul would pick for the Galatians as well. That you would know what you believe, and you would know why you believe it, and you would be free from these lies to live a glorious, Christ-like life. Life, which is what God intends for you. There's only one other passage that I did want to reference here because it's another one, and you likely have heard it as well. 
And not only is it famous, but it's beautiful. And it's one where this idea of truth and knowing the truth is linked to living a really good life. Have you ever heard this one from John 8, 31 and 32? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. I told you I'm trying to keep some of you awake. So we're engaging this morning, right? You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. It will, brothers and sisters, free. What a beautiful word. What a great description for the Christian life. Freedom. Being able to live in the freedom that Christ offers to us. What brings that about? What makes that available? Jesus says it's the truth. The truth of His Word. It makes us free from believing lies. It makes us free from uncertainty and insecurity. It makes us free from worry. The truth sets us free from sin. And ultimately, it sets us free from death as well. Brothers and sisters, the truth is valuable. And it's needed for me and for you and for everybody else. Point two this morning. It's the only other point I have. Some of you don't like two-point sermons, but this is it. The truth brings the truth is life giving. Life giving. And I mean that in every sense of the word life giving. Because the gospel, the good news is part of the truth of God's word. Right, the, the good news that Jesus Christ loves us enough, that Jesus Christ, who is God, who was eternally in heaven with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, that He leaves there and comes here and He lives a perfect life and He dies a perfect death and He comes back to life. And now everybody who calls on His name is saved and is born again and is made new and is made alive. The truth is, is life-giving. Brothers and sisters, it is so freeing in so many other ways as well. Because when I know what the Bible says, I no longer have to try and decipher my identity. Brothers and sisters, just let me tell you, you are surrounded by people, students particularly. You are surrounded by people, by friends, Grown-ups by co-workers, by family members who are trying to decipher who they are. What their purpose and meaning is in life. What their identity is, but I don't have to decipher my identity. I'm a child of God, made by God for a relationship with God to live for the glory of God forever and ever. I know it. I don't care if you tell me something different. You're lying, because that's what the Bible tells me. I know what my purpose is. I know why I'm here. I know who made me. I know that I am loved. I know that God has good things in store for me. I know what to expect when I die. 
I know where my hope is. I know how to have peace and how to have joy, brothers and sisters. I've got the answers to all of life's big questions. I don't have to wonder about them. It's not a philosophical debate. It's the teaching of God's Word. I know the truth. Why? Because I know God's Word. It's what Jesus says there in John 8, 31 and 32. Those of you that are filling out the children's bulletin, I think this is question four. Where do we find the truth, the ultimate truth? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And that truth, the truth of God's word, will set you free. So really, that, that's what I wanted to show you today in this text, brothers and sisters. When Paul sees people that believe things that are not the truth, he goes to them and he confronts them with the truth so they can tell the truth from a lie. So they can live in the glory of God's truth. So that they can live in God's reality rather than the perceived reality of the world around them. The lies we're told by society or by ourselves or by Satan or by whoever else. So here's the last thing that I really wanted to do today. I, just w- I want to illustrate this because some of you really like illustrations. I understand that and they can be very helpful. And when I say illustrate this, I don't mean I want to draw anything. Uh, I also don't mean that I want to tell you a story. Here's how I want to do this today. I want to give you examples of a couple of lies that maybe you believe. Or if you don't believe it, I would guarantee you. I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I would bet my house that's actually your house because it's the parsonage. But I would bet my house that you know somebody that does or has believed these things. Let me just list for you a couple of lies and then the corresponding truth, so you can see how, how condemning the lie is and how freeing the truth of God's Word is. First lie I have for you, you may have heard this or thought this, you, you won't ever amount to anything. You'll only ever be who your family is. You'll only ever be the sinner that you've been to this point in your life. That's not going to change That's who you are, and that's who you're always going to be. Brothers and sisters, that's a condemning lie from hell. You may believe that today, or you likely know somebody that feels this way. I can't ever break out of this pattern. I can't ever be anything other than this because that's who my family's always been, and this is just the type of people that we are. But the corresponding truth that we find in Scripture to that lie, is that this, in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness for the sins that you have already committed, and there is freedom from that life of sin. Freedom from both the guilt and the power of that sin. Your past does not define you. In Christ, you will be defined by your relationship with Him and the freedom that comes from Him. And in Him, there is a glorious future for you, no matter who you used to be. No matter who your mama or daddy or grandparents were. In Christ, there is a good Future, you're not defined by your past. You're defined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. People that believe that lie need to hear that truth. Here's one that too many people inside and outside of the church believe. Marriage really isn't a big deal. 
It's just a social construct that can be defined any way we want and can be broken for any reason that we desire to break it. How many families have been broken apart because people believed that lie? How many kids have grown up without a mom or dad because of that lie? Let me give you the corresponding truth of Scripture. Marriage is a lifelong covenant promise between a man and a woman and God. It is meaningful and it is beautiful. God invented it and it is worth fighting for. That's the truth of God's Word. And when we believe that truth rather than that lie, we fight for our marriages. And we work to care for and to love and to be there for our spouse and for our families. People that believe that lie need to hear that truth. The third lie, I was going to mention something to do with drugs and addiction because it's so prevalent. And I don't know which of these lies is more harmful when it comes to drugs. The first one is drugs are fine if they make you feel good because it only affects you anyway. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. What does God's Word show us and tell us? God's Word shows us and tells us that we're part of a family. That we're part of a community and the things that we do impact other people around us. And it tells us that our body was created to be a temple for the Holy Spirit and that the things that go in there matter. And it also tells us then, no sin is so personal that it never bothers anyone else. Because by definition, sin is you going against what God has for you to do. So even if it didn't affect any other human, your sin is against God. So you can't say it's a harmless sin, because there's literally no such thing. If you believe that the sin, whatever sin you have, is okay because it only affects you, that's a lie that you've been told, and that maybe you believe because you want to believe it, or maybe because you thought it was true, brothers and sisters, it's a lie. Or the other side of that coin talking about drugs and addiction is this lie that some of you have heard and believed. You're stuck in this addiction. It's stronger than you, and there's no hope that you will ever get out of it. You might as well embrace it because this is just who you are. And you say, I've seen the evidence. I've tried to quit, and I can't. So I might as well just accept this is who I am. But brothers and sisters, God's word, the corresponding truth is this. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. That when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you become His, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live inside of you and now you have His strength and you have the strength to overcome any sin and any addiction. And you no longer have to live with that sin overpowering you because you can overcome it. Praise God. That's the truth of Scripture. There's only one more. One more. Y'all going to have me preaching in just a minute. One more lie. And I want to share this because some of you believe this, and particularly some of you young people. Either you believe this or you know people that believe this. You aren't valuable. Nobody cares about you. And nobody will or ever could love you. Let me just say, if you have heard that lie, you have heard a lie. 
that is not true. I'll start here, not because it's most important, but because it's personal to me. Let me start here. I told you this a few weeks ago for Sanctity of Life, but I want to tell you again, I love you. Young people, other people here, those watching, I love you and I care about you and you're valuable to me. And if anybody ever makes you think that if you were gone, nobody would notice, I want you to know that's a lie. We would notice. And I care about you. But I also want you to hear this. Scripture says this. You are deeply loved by God. He he knew you before you were born. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he took his own image and gave it to you like a proud father who looks at his son and says, My boy looks like me. He gave you his image, not in the way you look, but in other ways. God has given you his image. Why? Because you are meaningful to him. And you're important to Him. And He sees you, and He hears you, and He loves you, and He desires a relationship with you. He desires a relationship with you so much that He came and died in order to offer that relationship to you. Brothers and sisters, if you believe the lie that you're not valuable and nobody cares about you, don't believe it anymore. And if you know somebody that's believing that, don't let them continue to believe it. Now, these are just four lies. I can't tell you how many, I guess technically five, I can't tell you how many countless lies there are people around you believing that are wrecking their life like these. They're causing them to be stuck in sin and to do harmful things. Brothers and sisters, when I tell you that the truth is life-giving, I mean it. When Jesus says that the truth will set you free, he means it. And whenever Paul is saying that I told them the truth because I wanted to see them formed in the image of Christ, or Christ formed in them, he meant it. So the last thing that I want to ask you today is, if we know that people believe the lies, and we know they do, and if we know the truth, and I pray that we do, then do we care enough to go and tell the people believing the lies the truth? Went to a conference this week, and on Monday I heard a guy, Shane Pruitt, he's a great speaker, shared a true story. When he was younger, he was working a summer job, and it was really just him and one other guy that he spent time with for the most part. And he said, I I was... My, my goal was to witness to this guy by wearing Christian t-shirts and Christian bracelets and things like that, or maybe saying small things here or there. That, that was my way of sharing the gospel with him. So he said we worked together for, you know, day after day for weeks and months. And then one day the guy comes in, and something's different, and he says, Shane, Shane, listen to me. Yesterday I went to church because my nephew was being baptized, and I heard about this Jesus. And I heard about how he loves me and how he died for me. And I heard the gospel and I got saved. And Shane said, praise God. What great news we are now brothers and we'll be, you're stuck with me forever. And the guy said, yeah, but you know, the preacher kept talking. You know what else he said? He also said that now that I know this truth and believe this truth, that I need to go and tell this truth to other people. And he said, Shane, did you know that? And he said, I could see where this was headed. I got that lump in my throat. And I told him, yeah, man, yeah, I know that that's true. And I know we're supposed to tell other people and make disciples of all nations. I know that. 
He said, and then at this point, this man's standing there in front of him with team tears streaming down his face. And he asked me this question. Did you not care about me enough to tell me that truth? You knew that. And you knew if I died, I would go to hell. Did you not care about me enough to tell me? Brothers and sisters, it's not just telling the gospel to lost people. We have to do that. But I think it's also telling biblical truth even to Christians, as Paul does here in Galatians. Not just looking at people and saying, it'd be awkward if I tell them that they've got that wrong. That'd be a hard conversation. They may not like it if I mention that to them. Let me just say this. I think we've been too good for too long at not telling the truth. We've been too good at acting like Christianity is to be lived in a bubble, and I live in my bubble in my lane, and you live in your bubble in your lane, and we don't intersect with one another. Brothers and sisters, that's not the Christian life. We live in community. We share our lives with one another. And if you see me believing something that's a lie, I expect you to come tell me the truth. And if you see another brother or sister, or a neighbor, or a lost person, believing something that's a lie, God expects us to go and tell them His truth that He has revealed that can set them free. Do you care about them enough to want to see them living in the freedom that's available to them in Christ? This morning I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to have a time of response. And maybe what you need to do is pray as I've had to do this week, pray and repent for the times that you have passed up the opportunity to share the truth and thought, maybe somebody else will do it. I'll let somebody else do it. Quit kicking that can down the road, brothers and sisters. Let's be the ones that will go and tell people the truth. Maybe you're here and this is the first time you're hearing the truth and you haven't believed the truth of the gospel. Praise God you've got a wonderful opportunity today to come and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and to be free and to live in the freedom that I've been talking about. And if you have questions about that, come in just a moment and let me talk to you about it. Maybe you just need to spend some time praying. Maybe you just want to sing out of joy in response for what God's offered us. I don't know what God's calling you to do this morning. But let me ask you this. Don't wait. Do commit yourself to do whatever He's calling you to do now as we sing this hymn of response.